Welcome to the Money Markets and Masterminds podcast by CityWire South Africa that delves into the intricate world of finance, investment, and strategic decision-making. If you're a fund selector or an independent financial advisor looking for insights, analysis, and expert opinions to enhance your perspective, you're in the right place. It was the mining in Darbon, Cape Town this week, one of the biggest industry events in the country each year, and one of the biggest in the world of gatherings of influential stakeholders in the mining industry. So we thought it would be a good idea to get a portfolio manager in the resources space in studio today to take us through some of the leading topics and themes discussed at the event, but also the state of the local mining sector and what global commodity markets have in store for investors. Today's special guest is George Cheveley, a metals and mining specialist in the thematic equity team with a multi-asset at 91. He's also the portfolio manager of the Global Gold Fund and co-manages the diversified natural resources strategies. He covers all aspects of metal and mining supply and demand and most recently the impact of renewable energy and electrical vehicles. Welcome George. Thank you, welcome. Quoting the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, Gwede Mantash's opening speech at the Indaba year, where he said, the year 2023 proved to be a tough year for Africa's mining industry due to a myriad of international and domestic factors. High energy prices, high inflation, lower commodity prices, coupled with load shedding and logistical bottlenecks, continue to put pressure on the operational costs and thus constrain the mining industry's contribution to our economy. George, if you look at the current balance sheet of the South African mining industry and at the side of the commodity price cycle where we find ourselves in, could you pinpoint any investment upside in the last year? Um, yeah, I think his comments uh, were very pertinent um, to what is happening in South Africa. And certainly um, our current view at the moment is uh, here in South Africa is we are actually overweight, uh, more international diversified miners because you know, the logistical infrastructure challenges here have been um, very hard and it's it's been, you know, very hard on mining companies. But that's not to say, um, you know, we're not interested and, and we certainly see um, going forward some potential, maybe not quite yet, but certainly in the future. Um, certainly what has been incredibly negative this week has been sentiment towards PGMs and the PGM industry People are worried about the rise of EVs affecting demand. We've seen platinum palladium prices falling. Um, but but and some people saying, you know, this is the beginning of the end, EVs will take over. Our view is this is more cyclical at the moment. We we expect there to be a transition, we expect it to be disorderly. Um, and and therefore we're actually starting to look at some of these companies and their valuations because you know, going forward, we think, you know, we're certainly getting towards the bottom of this cycle, and it is a cycle where it's not, you know, the end. Um, the, other, the other place where we still see um, valuation and are still interested is in the gold space. Um, and I know we're talking more about that uh, in a bit, and we can say more, but certainly we, we're still very positive on gold prices. And obviously, some of the gold companies listed in South Africa um, have quite a lot of international operations as well, um, and therefore are, are somewhat immune to some of the issues here. And we're positive on gold prices, so we certainly see some opportunities there. So, you know, resources um, in South Africa, uh, clearly, if you look purely domestically, it's had a challenging time, but we don't think it's, you know, finishing. We think there's opportunities will come back. And then clearly on the listed space, there's more larger diversified miners 
which we certainly are, are positive on at this stage. I want to dig into gold immediately. It's always been it's always been a fascinating investment to me, often seen as a safe haven to most. Can you provide our listeners with some insight in how physical gold provided some stability in a very uncertain 2023, and especially while other natural resource prices were falling? And most importantly, does that still make gold mining companies an attractive investment? Yes, yeah, so gold, gold is, is fascinating at the moment. If you, if you look back at 22, 23, and, and, you know, people run models on gold price, which generally are driven off U.S. rates policy um, and factors like that, U.S. dollar. Uh, most people's models would have told you last year gold should have averaged sort of $1,600 an ounce. And we were up near $2,000 an ounce. And, and they say this is, you know, some people say this is unsustainable, something's gone wrong. Nothing's gone wrong. The, the fact is, you know, those models are not comprehensive. Clearly, U.S. rates were, were rising. You would expect that to put pressure on gold prices. And if you look at retail flows in gold, they've been negative since really the middle of the pandemic. You know, we've seen selling on the retail side out of the ETFs. I think we're, we're in the low sort of 83, 84 million ounces in ETFs compared to 111 in August, September 2020. So we've had quite a big sell-off there, but gold prices are near their highs. The reason, and it's in plain sight, is central bank buying. In 22, we had a record buying by central banks globally uh, since records began in 1950. And last year was the second largest after 22. So both years, we were over 1,000 tons of gold bought by central banks. And, uh, you know, the reason is we're seeing de-dollarization. We're seeing a lot of central banks say, you know, the place is volatile. I'm worried about the transition and actually moving back into gold, particularly emerging market central banks who don't have a huge amount of reserves in gold. Obviously, US, a lot of European countries have quite large holdings of gold. But if you go to emerging markets, um, you know, they're, they're building up. And clearly, a big buyer over the last year has been China, and they remain a big buyer. So we continue to see that support for gold. So then we're left in a position where gold prices are near their highs, but but in a way, only one part of the market has been buying. Retail has been selling. We haven't seen huge, you know, investment flows. And if that starts to turn, and as rates come down, one would normally expect that to happen. Um, it, it feels like the upside is, you know, very much more likely than the downside. Central banks still buy. If retail comes back, we certainly expect gold prices to move higher. So then we come to the equities. Um, actually, in 22, they had a very bad year. Uh, gold prices were strong, but um, costs were a real problem. Logistics costs due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, fuel costs, and we still have an overhang from COVID. People understripped at mine, still catching up. And in some ways, we expected 23 to be better, and it was. Costs were okay, but they were still rising and probably more than we expected. Um, but we did see the equities at least be positive in 23, though only more in line with the gold price, but not outperforming. So we've had two years now where the equities overall have underperformed the gold price, which is unusual when gold prices are high. I think where the opportunity lies now is when you look at those equities, uh, costs are moderating. They're not coming down, but they're not going up as fast. We're seeing much slower inflation on the cost side, and we're seeing some recovery in volumes which does help their costs, obviously, because a lot of it's fixed costs. So if we expect gold prices to remain here or higher this year, um, the equities look very attractively valued. 
and and in fact i would expect um unless gold prices fall i would expect to see much better performance from the equities particularly from here as we've had a very bad start to the year we've seen equities down on average 10 percent this year and frankly for no real reason other than bearishness in equity markets not bearishness in gold markets now when it comes to mining funds that focus on global gold mining and other commodity stocks what are the key considerations and strategies you employ so i mean we're we're running a gold fund but we want to provide diversification to our our fund holders our strategy holders so you know we, we look for different um types of companies across the space and and different scenarios so we'll look for companies who are introducing um, projects, who um, you know, developing new projects, um, and where we think their cash flows will improve. We also look for companies who may be in a turnaround. They've had cost problems. We think management have got control of that. We know what they're doing, and we like what they're doing. And then we we obviously look at the large diversifieds where we can see some volume growth or cost control. We look for those scenarios. We're clearly looking for where we think valuations are too low, but we want different reasons why they might change. We don't just want to hold a certain type of company. So, and and then we're also looking to spread it geographically. So we don't want all our companies to have operations in Africa or Australia. We want a broad mix. So we also look and make sure that we're not concentrated in one particular region, country, etc. Um, and that gives us a broad mix. And obviously, then we, we want to pick the best examples we can find of those and companies we can do. So, um, you know, we obviously we have exposure to gold prices, but but the investments we make aren't purely predicated on a rising gold price. We want to see other catalysts which are going to change the valuation of that company. And that's what we look for. George, can you share any specific success stories or mistakes made in running your gold portfolio and or from the perspective of your diversified natural resources strategies? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to talk uh, too much about specific stocks, but, um, you know, we we have successes and we certainly have mistakes as well. Um, That's part of being a fund manager and being diversified as well. Um, we did in the gold strategy, I mean, our best performing position last year has actually been one of our worst performing the year before. There's a company called West Gold in Australia. It's quite a small company, um, interesting history. They, they were they were really badly impacted by the cost increases in 22. They, they were trucking ore, fuel costs went up, they're, they're mining in Australia. They were really, their, their balance sheet was okay, but they weren't making money. They were negative cash flow. They were really struggling with some old mines, you know, and and costs have got out of control. Uh, Their management changed. They appointed a new CEO in the middle of 22, somebody I knew. And and they came out with a recovery plan in the third quarter, which meant some redundancies. They closed some mines, consolidated. And and initially, obviously, that cost some money was negative cash flow. But actually, when you looked at the plan, you said, oh, finally, this is this could actually work. And and we held a small position. We actually increased it at the end of 22. And and the simple fact is that plan has worked. They're obviously held by gold prices, but they essentially improved their cost structure immensely in 23, um, stabilized operations. And actually, the, the final thing which we're aware of is their hedge, they had a hedge book, which was fairly low that rolled off so they're exposed to very good spot prices 
and that and that stock more than doubled last year on a recovery trade. Um, and and it is very pleasing, I must say, when you, you see something, you read a plan, you assess it's going to work, and it does work. Because that doesn't always happen. So that was, uh, you know, it's a story where actually understanding the company and what was going on really happened. Gold prices helped, but I think even if gold prices hadn't done much, they still would have had, you know, a, a much better year. So, so you know, that's a, a good situation, shall I say. Um, on the other side, in our other funds, we've, um, I mean, if I look at Global Natural Resources, we're positive on aluminium. I certainly am. I think it's a metal where we expect to see prices rise. Um, and actually, the Chinese have capped capacity. They're at capacity now, so we don't see much growth in production in China. Demand, we think, will grow fairly strongly worldwide, and we see the market tightening. I had the same view a year ago, and frankly, it hasn't happened yet. We've still seen uh, prices still remain pretty low, margins pretty tight, and companies, you know, uh, not really generating much extra cash flow. So, you know, you sometimes have that position where you're you're waiting for the market to tighten, and, and aluminium was one of those. And clearly, there is concern about metal demand this year. China is clearly struggling, so we'll have to see um, if that really plays out. But but you know, sometimes the, the key is working out when you cut a position or when you just say no, no, the store is still intact. I, I should hold it. Our view at the moment is it still will work and the economics will work out and we need aluminium prices to rise. But but yeah, it didn't work last year. George, what trends should fund selectors be aware of, especially when it comes to the impact of renewable energy on production and that of electric vehicles on metals demand, particularly from China? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the trend. The trend is a transition um, and it's happening. Uh, and there's no doubt about that. I mean, solar production in China was up 55% last year. Um, you know, yes, uh, US might have pushed back on offshore wind. They might have be rowing back slightly their targets on EV sales. But but these are these are examples of what we call a disorderly transition. It's not all one way. You'll get people changing their mind, pulling back targets. It doesn't mean to say it's stopped though. And um, we, we think it's fully in train, it's happening. It's actually what we're very excited about because we, we wrote a white paper um, a year or so ago saying the transition's happening, but it will be disorderly. Um, it's not gonna be straight line, it will accelerate, it will slow down, different things will happen. It's exactly what we're seeing. And as an active manager, um, it's super interesting and it provides opportunities. Um, and sometimes you say, right, we're accelerating here. We need to get into the growth metals. At times you say, hang on, you know, there's been massive underinvestment in some of the older technologies, even energy. Maybe there's better returns to be had there over the next year. And that we've, we've been watching this, for really been writing about it since 2016 or so. And, and it's still, you know, we're only just starting. Uh, and it's providing huge opportunities in our view. Um, and massive dislocations in valuations because people sort of say, oh, it's happening and they buy too much, it gets overvalued. Then they decide it's not happening and everything sells off. I, I mentioned PGMs. We, we've seen exactly that cycle there. We've seen it in lithium. We had prices from $7,000 to $80,000 a ton of lithium carbonate and we're back at $12,000 today. You know, that those are you know, probably too volatile. I essentially avoided most of that because it was very unpredictable. But but as a specialist in this space, 
I think it's very interesting and provides you know huge opportunities as long as you're on top of it and and, and understand about cycles and how they're going to play out. George, now let's look into the future. With automation and digitalization transforming the industry, are money managers like yourself keeping an eye on these trends for a comprehensive understanding of the sector's trajectory? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've been involved in metals and mining since 1990. Uh, my first job was buying tin, which is actually a metal used a lot in electronics industry as well as packaging. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I find metals so fascinating is you have to know about a lot of industries. You have to know what's happening in phones, cars, power industries, air conditioning, because that's where these metals are consumed and understanding those trends. And clearly, you know, renewable power is a huge consumer of metals and, and understanding that is absolutely vital to what we do and how that's going to change demand going forward. So, um we're, we're always looking at that and, and it will change over time. Technologies change over time. Of course, you know, nowadays people are talking about AI and how it's going to change the world and what is happening. And they might well be true. And clearly it's having a huge effect. But, you know, those AI chips consume a lot of power and, and unprecedented amounts. And we look at the announcements of the tech companies. They're talking of building service centers for $100 billion. And why is it so much? Because they need power plants with them. And, and you know, what carries that power is copper or aluminium. It transmits, distributes it. So if we're moving to a world which is relying on AI, we're going to need more power, more electricity, more renewable generation if we want it to be green. That's going to require a huge amount of metals and materials. So, you know, seeing those trends, understanding what it means from a materials point of view is partly what we do. It's also very, very interesting to work out how that will happen. And often because materials get substituted. So you say, oh, they need copper, or maybe they actually can use aluminium. Seeing those changes, how that will change demand. We, we've had a classic example in the battery. Four years ago, people said, cobalt, we're going to run out of cobalt. You know, we, we need nickel cobalt manganese batteries. You know, that's the future. Now half the batteries in, our, in electric vehicles are lithium-ion phosphate, LFP, don't need cobalt. I mean, we still use it for some things, but far less than was predicted. Cobalt's oversupply today is probably the worst we've ever seen. You know, that's changed in four years. So you have to be alive to these. You have to really be reactive. As I say, we're active managers and we need to be active. There's no question that the mining sector continues to evolve. How it will evolve is another question. So, George, before we end this podcast, I want to put your head on a block. What are your expe expectations on the shorter and longer term for the resources industry and sector? I think, well, in terms of short term, I think obviously the, the concern is around global demand and particularly what's happening in China. But also we have to be aware, I mean, European demand is not strong. But a lot of that has been destocking. We've seen a massive amount of materials destocked over the last two years. Material that have built up what we call just in case stocks after the logistics problems, you know, with uh, the Ukraine invasion or the container problems. That was destocked. And then rates went up. And financial officers around the world were shouting at their companies saying, cut the stocks. We need to protect working capital. Our debt costs are going up. So we've had a double destock. And it happens at times, but they, they lead to a lot less apparent demand. Um, that has to end at some point, but it's always very hard to predict. I mean, people were saying last summer, this has to end soon. 
we're still in it. It could end next month. We don't know, but it will end. So that that I'm watching that because when it does end, you can get markets tightening very quickly. I still think long term the transition, you know, demand for metal to mining, as I outlined earlier, is going to be very strong. I think the interesting thing is now companies we talk to are really struggling with capex. They're saying I can't afford to build these projects at current prices. Um, do I build it anyway and hope prices go up or do I wait for prices to go up? And after the experience of 10 years ago, most of them are saying, I'm going to wait for prices to go up first. I can't build it and hope that prices go up. So I think that means we, we, we will see prices go up. But again, is that this year, next year, or in four years' time? I don't know. But, but it gives me certainly future that we're in a positive cycle when I look over five, 10 years. And just because we will require this material and we're not building enough. Finally, on the very long term, I think mining is, you know, everybody's always said you want scale, you want large super pits, tier one assets, lowest cost, big material. The trouble with those types of operations is they take years to build. They leave a pretty big footprint. And I think increasingly, when you look at the types of metals and, and the deposits being found, I think the industry has to look at how it can go underground and maybe smaller, more automated in the future. And I think that's a big challenge for the industry. And I would like to see more of that happening. How, how can we you know, almost mine with robots underground and small, fast, um, exploiting smaller deposits with less footprint, less waste, um, so we can react to demand more quickly um, and but still produce the quantities required. I, th I think that's a major challenge, and I think I'd like to see more people working on that. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So thank you, George, for sharing your views and values on the world of mining with our listeners today. It was a precious conversation. To all our CityWise South African listeners, thank you for tuning in to our first episode of Money Markets and Masterminds with me, editor Ruan Yuesa. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our show and share it with your network. Until next time, goodbye.